welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. On January 20th, 2021, the nation as we know it is going to undergo a pretty significant change. That's the day that President-elect Joe Biden will be sworn into office, and he has a pretty ambitious list of policy changes he plans to tackle right away. Among the most cumbersome may be immigration. That's because over the last four years, we've all heard about the wall, about children in cages at the southern border, families separated, and a host of other atrocities that were carried out by the Trump administration. Biden has said he's going to get to work on all of this and try to move swiftly on making this country a place where refugees can come for safety and protection, and where even immigrants who are undocumented are not subject to really inhumane treatment. However, many are pointing out that shifting these policies is going to take time and staffing. That matters because if and when a new wave of immigration to the U.S. southern border happens, the American public and the world will be watching the Biden administration handle an issue that was foundational to the Trump presidency. Later in the hour, we are going to catch up with Juan Gonzalez Martinez, a DACA recipient we've had on the show before, to see what he hopes for when it comes to Biden's immigration plans. But first, we are joined by Irelise Hernandez, a reporter covering the U.S. southern border, immigration, Texas, and beyond for The Washington Post. Irelise Welcome to Detroit Today. Glad to be here. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Biden is coming into this presidency with a lot of work ahead of him, specifically with immigration policy. Give us some perspective on the changes that we could see in the next four years by reminding us first of some of the hallmark immigration policies that the Trump administration put into place. Yeah, no, this is something that my colleagues and I at the Washington Post uh, just published, sort of an overview of some of these things. Uh, you know, we have, for example, the, the border wall. Uh, President-elect Biden has said, actually on NPR, that uh, there will not be another foot of border wall constructed. Um, you know, that involves a complicated list of, of contracts and other things that, that need to take place. Uh, refugee limits, if you remember the, the uh, President Trump limited and lowered the cap on uh, the number of refugees admitted into the country. He's saying that President-elect Biden is saying that he will um, raise those numbers again. Um, DACA mm -hmm. being a signature issue. Uh, this was something that the Trump administration, administration sought to end um, and through through court challenges. And the program itself still faces its own challenges in the federal system. But that's something that President-elect Joe Biden has said that he wants to reinstate and uh, make sure that there is a path for dreamers and their families to become legal uh, residents and citizens of the United States. You also have the issue of deportations. Now, deportations uh, were not that high under President Trump, but he did change some of the or his administration, I say, did change some of the priorities for enforcement. Um, and so some of that under Biden is expected to change, that the priority would shift away from anyone who is in the country illegally to folks who are accused of committing crimes or convicted of commit committing crimes. Then you have the Muslim ban, which is another thing right. that the um, president-elect has pledged to 
reverse. Um, there's a bunch of different areas, uh, including asylum policy, which I think, which is what I specifically wrote about, um, is going to be a major challenge for him. Uh, the, the idea that uh, it will take some time to, to do this, I think, makes a lot of sense if you think of, again, that long list of policies that the Trump administration uh, put into place. But but one of the questions then is priority. Which is the most important for the Biden administration to roll back and which would have the most visible effect? In other words, uh, the things that, that people would notice would be different because there's a different occupant of, of the White House. Well, I mean, there are specific things that he said that in the first 100 days he was uh, going to to put forth, right? And this is all detailed also on his website. Unfortunately, the administration did not talk to us for this piece. Um, But one of those things that might be the most visible is is probably the border wall, uh, especially for folks who live in those communities for the past, you know, four years. Mm -hmm. There have been these battles between uh, private landowners, particularly in Texas. Most of that land is in private, uh, private hands. You know, then they've been battling in court to hold on to those lands and not cede any to this border wall construction. And so for those families, visibly, right, it's a huge sigh of relief for those of them who are trying to hold on to that land um, that the border wall would not be moving forward. In terms of uh, visibility, um, that's a difficult question <laughs> because a lot of people are disconnected in this country from from immigration itself. Uh, perhaps, you know, the idea of restoring and defending legal immigration. So there's a lot of legal immigration to this country, for example, with certain visas for certain kinds of employment, tech and otherwise. So people who work in tech companies or who work for these larger corporations who, um, you know, depend on legal immigration, that might be one. Um, For me, you know, personally, because I'm I'm in San Antonio, Texas, uh, but I, I work a lot on the, the border itself. Mm-hmm. I think asylum policy will probably be really visible for the folks who work, um, you know, in sort of humanitarian work. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've seen the pictures of migrant camps on the other side of the border in Mexico, this is a result of the Remain in Mexico program. These are folks who are wanting to make asylum uh, petitions here in the United States, but instead of, you know, in the past being able to make those petitions while being inside of the United States, the Trump administration moved to have these folks be pushed back into Mexico to wait their immigration court hearings. So a lot of those folks are still waiting, tw- about 25,000 mm-hmm. across northern Mexico, which is one of the most dangerous, you know, parts of the world, um, waiting for their chances to, for their court dates, which has been on hold because of the pandemic. Um, you know, they've not been able to to have those court hearings. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Arelis Hernandez, who is a Washington Post reporter who covers the U.S. southern border, immigration, Texas and beyond. We're talking about the Biden administration uh, set to take over on January 20th, 2021, and the changes that they plan to make to immigration policy. Uh, We would love to hear from you during this conversation as well. Are you an immigrant who lives here in Metro Detroit Call and tell us what you hope to see from a new administration uh, under President Joe Biden. Uh, Did life for you change in the last four years under the Trump administration? Call and tell us how. Uh, Also, do you think a policy overhaul could change things for the better? Or do you think the Trump presidency unleashed an aggression toward uh, immigrants that is not going to easily go away, even with 
a different president in office. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page uh, and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Also, give us a call and let us know if you're somebody who supported the immigration policies that we saw over the last four years, somebody who thinks we need to be tougher on uh, people who come here uh, as undocumented immigrants, somebody who is skeptical of uh, the openness that we used to have to refugees and would like to see those policies uh, stay in place. Call and and tell us why. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number uh, on the phones. Um, uh, before we get to, um, before we get to, uh, uh, listeners, uh, I, I want to ask about how immigrant communities are responding to the Biden victory. Uh, what do you think they're saying, or what are you hearing that they're saying are the most important issues for them right now? Uh, you know, I keep coming back to the visuals of the last four years, uh, and I know sometimes that's dangerous because it doesn't necessarily reflect uh, the most uh, important or garish policies. Uh, but, but you know, the images of children in cages, for instance, it, it really moved, I think, a lot of people's attention uh, to this issue. Um, uh, but I'm wondering what you're hearing from immigrant communities about, f- for them, what, what the expectation is here. No, certainly the, the children in cages, you know, imagery captured the imagination of many people across this country. Um, you know, that was the result of the influx of folks who were coming in and making uh, and asking for an opportunity to make their claims for asylum um, and were placed in detention or separated. And this was sort of a deterrence, right? And this was part of not just the Trump administration's philosophy uh, towards you know, immigration, right? Because these these flows keep coming, right? They, they, they have been coming. But this it preceded Trump, right? And the politics of deterrence of trying to send a message to anyone who might be thinking of coming to this country, you know, either through legal or illegal means, that it's going to be difficult, one, um, and two, that, you know, we're, it's, it's, you should think that decision over, right? Like, mm-hmm. if, if you can make it work in your country or, or whatever, that you should stay there. This is something that's been in place as part of U.S. immigration policy for some time, particularly for folks who are coming over the border. Um, I, Biden has also talked about some of these family detention centers. Uh, keep in mind, again, that these were facilities that were constructed under the Obama administration and then used uh, in, in that imagery that, that's so stuck in sort of the American consciousness. But I think for immigrant communities, uh, at least what I've been told, is that there's sort of a, a cautious optimism, right? They've been here before. Sure. They've been here before with other administrations with promises about, you know, overhaul and change. And the fact of the matter is that immigration in itself is so complicated, so vast, it's so broad, that this is something that Congress has to tackle. And it, uh, there are clear limits, although, you know, President Trump sort of took that and ran with it with more than 400 executive orders. There are still clear limits to what a president can do sure. on immigration policy. And I think for immigrant communities, Im- immigrant advocates, immigrant lawyer, immigration lawyers, you know, they're 
wanting to see what happens in that Georgia race <laughs> and what the composition of the Senate is going to look like, mm-hmm. because ultimately this is Congress's responsibility. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to 2009, uh, the last time we had a, a new Democratic president and that president had uh, a majority in both the Senate and the House, I mean, there are still people who who will... Uh, lament very strongly the fact that the Obama administration did not push ahead on uh, immigration reform the way it did on some other things uh, in those first two years when they had that kind of majority. Now, there were, of course, uh, I think a lot of diverging viewpoints in the Senate that would have made that somewhat difficult. But to not have even made an attempt at that, I think, is something that that a lot of people feel like was a, a terribly missed uh, opportunity. And I, I would imagine that uh, that right now they're remembering that and thinking, how do we make it? Uh, how do we make it different this time? Um, let's go to yeah. yeah I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I think I think the focus here is is on accountability for for a new Biden administration. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to uh, Eric. Uh, in Plymouth. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So my comment is, I'm a Chaldean American, and if you look at my community, it was overwhelmingly supportive of President Trump. I mean, you can even say that we turned the 2016 election to him in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yet he was horrible to the community in the sense that he was deporting Chaldeans to be killed. Well, they actually died in Iraq. Yes. And he's actually, his, his assault on refugees affects Iraqi Christians that a lot of the local organizations are trying to get you know, from Iraq to the United States because they are just being heavily persecuted. So what I would like to see is from my, com- uh, my community, the Chaldean community, work with the new incoming administration, especially the organizations, because the last administration was so terrible to the Chaldean community. Hmm. And despite that, I'm talking 90 percent plus support Chaldeans for President Trump, Stephen. Yeah, uh, it was, I have not looked uh, into the, you know, the, the communities where uh, there are lots of Chaldean Americans and uh, in, in the 2020 election to see. Eric, do you know how much that turned this time? Is that one of the is that one of the flips that we saw here in Michigan, the, the Chaldean vote? And, you know, the reason is that Chaldeans are devout Catholics, and the Church sometimes pushes us to vote for uh, Republicans. And it's a pro-life issue, and it's also the lower business tax because the Chaldeans are such, you know, big concentration of business owners. But no, they—I mean, he lost a few, especially when some of the uh, people were deported and ended up dying. But I would still estimate that his support in the Chaldean community was still 90-plus percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I'm really glad you called and uh, shared that perspective. Uh, as, as you hear, you know, th- this is a community that has lots and lots of different immigrant populations within it. And uh, and not all of them uh, agree, of course. Uh, not all of them have the same point of view. But the Chaldean community is one that did help propel the president, uh, the current president to, to office. And, uh, you know, th- there's an interesting question about how they will feel about the changes that uh, the Biden administration plans. No, I mean, I, it, that remains to be seen, right? Different communities across this country. I mean, you could say the same thing for some Cuban-American communities. There are Cubans who are um, on the Mexican side of the border who are trying to make asylum claims while their mm-hmm. relatives in you know, South Florida and Central Florida um, voted for Trump, who they saw as you know someone who did not advocate um, for for their for their rights, um, I, you know it's 
it's complicated, right? People are complicated, <laughs> and what issues they choose to to allow, to guide them on their sort of political choices mm-hmm. um, are become very personal, become very diverse, um, become in some ways. Uh, some people could view those things as counter to their identities, right? For example, you know, again, I'm in Texas, and so there was a lot of interest in the way that South Texans, uh, you know, voted, and particularly a large group of the Mexican-Americans who voted for for Trump. And in that instance, for example, you know, President Trump started his campaign talking about Mexicans being rapists and and these other sort of pejorative terms. But when you ask folks, who, particularly in Star County, Texas, is a very rural, tiny little t- uh, county in Texas, and ask them, Mexican-Americans, about those comments, you know, their response is, well, you know, the president wasn't talking about me, <laughs> right? Like, he, he's talking about other people. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, third or fourth generation Mexican-American. He's not talking about me. He's talking about the bad guys. Yeah. And so I think that, that this happens in communities across the country. There's sort of a, a dissociation, a slicing of um, the way that you view and measure Trump's rhetoric to uh, his policies to what is important to you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eric, again, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective there. David in Gross Point. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. Good yep. morning to you and your yep. guest. Uh-huh. Um, the, uh, I'd just like to state that, first of all, I think that the current administration's handling of, of uh, immigration policy has been a atrocious, and I think that many people would agree. The thing that conflicts with me, the thing that I have conflict with, and I'm not sure how to reconcile in my own mind, are some of the systemic issues that plague our current immigration policy. And the one that really jumps out at me is uh, parents coming over to the U.S. as illegal immigrants or illegal citizens and having a child. The child automatically obtains citizenship and the parent's are either able to stay illegally or just leave. And that seems to me to be a bit illogical. I just don't know how to reconcile that in my own mind from a moral standpoint, you know, versus a legal standpoint. And I'll be glad to take my, any response uh, yeah. off the air. Thank well, you. Uh, David, I, I appreciate the call and the perspective. Of course, it's the 14th Amendment to the Constitution that uh, protects natural-born citizens, I believe is the phrase that uh, is in the amendment. And that is the reason uh, that that uh, that dynamic that you're talking about actually happens. But I agree that it raises it raises serious other questions about how you how you manage that. In other words, uh, if uh, that child's parents are here uh, as undocumented immigrants, then what what should the rules look like? Uh, or at least this is this is one of the things that that Congress would have to step in to really resolve the, the, the conflict between what is in the Constitution and the sort of practical reality that we live with. Yeah, and I want to be clear that, that you know, this is not something that is unique to the, the border regions. Uh, there have been plenty of cases of, you know, European immigrants doing the same, you yes. know, Asian, East Asian. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is a, a right that the United States confers and it makes it such an attractive uh, a destination Yes, you're right. This is something that Congress is going to have to work out. Uh, you know, the Obama administration tried, I, I think, something similar, and, and maybe folks are, could argue with me on this, but with DAPA, if you remember a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. it, it's, this was legislation for the parents of DREAMers, right, to, to give them a path to legalization, and that was eventually uh, struck down by the courts. 
Um, I remember actually being an, in a group of immigrants when that decision came down. But, yeah, no, it, 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 the Obama administration tried to mm-hmm. sort of resolve this from one angle. Um, but ultimately, Congress is going to have to figure out how this is going to work and under Reagan. Right. It was Reagan, President Reagan, who in dealing with the large numbers of undocumented uh, mixed status families in this country, um, brought amnesty yes, right in the right. 1980s. And mm-hmm. that's something that I think immigration uh, activists have, have called for in this case, that, that we, you know, put folks on this path, that we have them pay taxes and, and do a, a couple of other things to, to get in line for assimilation, but ultimately put them on a path to, to legalization. Um, and, you know, I haven't looked at polling on this or, or anything on, as to how amenable, amenable the American public would be to something like that. Um, but I think it's it's one of these areas where you we have sort of like the the desires of the immigrant advocacy community on, you know, that want a full repudiate, repudiation of, of Trump era immigration policies and tactics to the realities of, you know, what is accomplishable within the executive branch and later through, you know, through Congress. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue this conversation, and we are going to bring Detroit native and DACA recipient Juan Gonzalez Martinez into the conversation to catch up with him, see how he's reacting to the election of Joe Biden as president and the promised changes to immigration policy. We also want to continue to hear from you on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Elena in Detroit, Jay in Westland, we'll hear from you. Again, if you want to join them, uh, give us a ring and we will include you in the conversation here. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about uh, the changes that will happen with regard to immigration policy once Joe Biden becomes the president of the United States on January 20th of 2021. How quickly will he be able to reverse the policies that we've seen uh, unfold over the last four years as President Donald Trump has really made the nation much more unwelcoming uh, to refugees, uh, to people from certain countries, uh, and certainly to people who come here uh, without proper documentation. Um, we want to hear from you as well. If you're someone who is an immigrant uh, and lives in this community, we especially want to hear from you about what your expectation is now that Joe Biden is going to be the president uh, and give us a sense of what the last four years have been like uh, for you as the president, the current president, uh, has made this country uh, a lot less uh, open to people from other countries. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we will try to include you in the show that way. Uh, my guest is uh, Arielise Hernandez, who is a Washington Post reporter who covers the U.S. southern border, immigration, Texas, 
and beyond. And I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now. Juan Gonzalez Martinez is a DACA recipient from Southwest Detroit who is attending law school at Loyola University in Chicago. Juan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I, I want to start with you, Juan, and just get your your reaction as a dreamer, a dreamer, or a DACA recipient. Uh, what are you hoping to see, and what are you expecting to see from the new administration? Well, I'm expecting a, a change from current, you know, Trump era policies. But I mean, that bar was set you know, extremely low. I mean, his policies were violent and extremely anti-immigrant. Uh, I want to see a, a new direction. Uh, in terms of immigration policy, completely different from Obama, which resulted in a record number of deportations. Uh, I would hope to see citizenship not just uh, for quote-unquote dreamers, but for every undocumented uh, person here in the United States. Uh, We were talking earlier about disappointment being not exclusive to the time when Republicans are in charge. I mean, the last four years have been I think an outlier and extraordinary in, in the way in which uh, the administration has been so hostile to just even the idea of legal immigration in, in many cases. But if you go back to the Obama administration, I mean, lots of people had disappointments there, uh, not just in things that weren't achieved, but in things that that administration affirmatively uh, decided to do. I, I wonder what you make of the difference between the two parties and and, and how much hope you can even feel comfortable putting in uh, a Biden administration uh, to, to, to make real change? Well, I was listening to, I believe it was his inauguration speech, or I forget which speech he was making, but he did mention that uh, they made a mistake with their immigration policies, and that's a start. Uh, but I hope that he learns from those mistakes and changes uh, course, and so it doesn't result again in record area, people, I mean, record number of deportations, because it, at the end of the day, we talk about deportations, but what that ends up affecting is families. I mean, it breaks apart families, it deports parents, it deports kids in some cases. So we want to make sure we don't return to those sorts of policies. I mean, and as I mentioned, you know, Trump left the bar you know, at the floor, everything from, you know, undocumented immigrants currently here to people requesting asylum to the number of refugees admitted into the country. I mean, just down the line, there's so many policies that uh, Biden on day one can begin to uh, rectify and, and make uh, make the country safer for immigrants again. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We still got a lot of folks queued up here to join this conversation. Uh, let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Uh-huh. Thank you. There's just a couple of things that I want to make sure get into the conversation. And one of them is the importance of the role of NAFTA in forcing people to leave their homelands. Mm. And if it hadn't been for millions of people being thrown out of work through the North American Free Trade Agreement, there would not have been the massive migration from Mexico and Central America. And I think it's it's imperative that people understand also that the U.S. did not want that kind of number of people that were not European coming from one place with one language and one culture or similar cultures because it would change the tone of the U.S., and that's what has happened, and that's what the U.S. was afraid of. But so it's forcing people to leave, but also not wanting them to come, which put people into a terrible situation. It, it absolutely and the did. Thing, yeah, go ahead. I want to really. I I don't want to let this go about people saying that the Catholic Church has um, said that it was a right to life issue, and that's why they wanted for people to vote for Trump because it's imperative 
that it is acknowledged that the anti-Muslim hatred was really driving many groups to support Trump. I just don't think that that should be left out, and the Catholic Church is also really involved in that. Hmm. Uh, Elena, I, I really appreciate the call and the and the, and the comments. Uh, the The comments you made about NAFTA are really interesting because, you know, NAFTA is one of those issues where you see far left and far right uh, both both critical of a policy for very different reasons. Uh, but that was one of the things, of course, that, uh, that NAFTA was one of the things that the president was uh, was uh, opposed to as well. Uh, or at least I, I want to give you a chance to uh, respond to the things that Elena brought up here. No, I, I mean, the, it's it's part of what President-elect Biden has has talked about, which is these, these root causes of, of migration, right, specifically um, that need to be addressed. And under the Obama administration, the vice then Vice President Biden was tasked with traveling to, to Central America and building those relationships and, and you know, squaring away and figuring out aid packages or, or, or you know, surging uh, assistance uh, to those areas that might help address some of those root causes, uh, you know, NAFTA being one of them, the U.S.'s involvement in some of the wars that took place in Central America, um, and, and even before the wars, but sort of the installation of certain kinds of leaders and, and, and you know, propping up of oligarchs, that kind of thing, that preceded what we're seeing today, including NAFTA. I mean, on, on the issue um, of the Catholic Church, I have sort of less expertise uh, as to, you know, you know, what, how they direct, you know, parishioners and folks to, sure. to, to vote. So I wouldn't want to speak on that. Yeah, yeah. No, Elena, I, I appreciate uh, the call. Uh, in the comments. Uh, Juan Martinez, before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to talk about what your life has been like uh, the last couple of years. We've It's been a while since, uh, since we talked to you. I remember talking to you uh, around the time that the Supreme Court was going to hear the DACA case. Um, uh, give us a sense about uh, how things are going. Uh, they're going, I mean, better than what they were, to be honest. But, um, I just actually, I just received my, uh, my renewal for my work permit and who is now the current, uh, head of, uh, acting head of Department of Homeland Security issued a memo stating that he wasn't going to file a Supreme Court's ruling. Mm -hmm. And essentially what that resulted in me getting, instead of a two year work permit, just a one year work permit, which still cost me the same amount. Wow. And that kind of just blatant disregard for the law at the end of the day, because it was our highest court in the land said, go back to the original DACA procedure, the original DACA memo. Mm-hmm. And the, the acting head said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And to me, that just shows the kind of, uh, the way this in- entire administration has conducted itself the, through the entire four years. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that they're leaving uh, January 20th. I'm counting down the days, but I mean, it's, it's, it's been better, but it's still very hard for, for any immigrants here in America right now. Yeah. Okay. Juan Gonzalez Martinez is always great. To hear from you, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the phones here. Uh, Jean in Detroit, uh, I think we have you back on the line. Jean, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Hi. there. Thank you so much for persevering. Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to share that uh, the morning after um, Biden was um, declared the president-elect, I woke up feeling this, uh, you know, I'm listening to the, I wake up to the NPR and I, I, I just had this sense of relief 
you know, and it made me realize how much stress and tension I had been internalizing over the last four years during the, the uh, Trump presidency. And I, I just feel like, wow, we can get back to normal. We have a normal president in charge. And, um, you know, we can, it just affects you internally. I just feel like I can relax now as a person and as a citizen with Biden as even just the president-elect, just knowing that, that it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jean, uh, really appreciate, uh, really appreciate the, the call and the perspective, uh, or at least that's something I think we're hearing a lot right now is just relief. Uh, relief from trauma is the way that a lot of people are, are describing this. Yeah, no, I've, I've certainly heard that from folks on, on the U.S. side of the border. It's also something that, uh, you know, who I'm mostly in touch with are folks on, on the Mexico side of the border who've been waiting to make their their cases, right, to, to, to tell their stories. Um, I, I think in, in my piece, I, I talked about a woman named Nancy Aviles, right, mm-hmm. who is from El Salvador, who's fleeing gangs, who's been in the migrant camp uh, on the other side of, the, of uh, Brownsville in Matamoros, and, you know, dared herself <laughs> to sigh in relief. Um, you know, she's thinking about the fact that last December, it was Biden's wife, Dr. Jill Biden, who visited that same camp and, and, and basically, in so many words, at least as interpreted by the migrants who are there, um, that they would not be forgotten. And so a, a, mm. pres- a Biden presidency for them is very much a, a sort of a change in fortunes, but also, again, as I mentioned at the top of this conversation, a, a sort of cautious optimism <laughs> or reason right. to, to be optimistic while also being wary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Jay in Westland. Jay, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, hey. hi, uh, hi uh, everybody, and welcome welcome to the show, as, as you said. Uh, I have two points to uh, to chip in when it comes to this immigration issue. Uh-huh. One is the fact that uh, President Trump has done something that needs to be reversed. This year, legal immigration in Africa is the lowest. Here is how he, here is how he did it. Mm. Uh before you could play uh, the GB uh, the lottery, you didn't need to have a passport. A passport in Africa cost about $400. Hmm. And so before you play the GB this year, you, have, you must have a passport. And so that in itself disqualified thousands of black Africans who could not afford it. And so I will pray the Biden administration reverse that. Again, we keep talking about immigration. What are the push factors? Biden needs to look at U.S. foreign policy. For example, let me ask you a guess. Do you know about a genocide in a genocide that, that is happening in, in English Cameroon that they have killed more than 23,000 people, and that is the push factor mm. of thousands dying in, in, in South America and crossing the Mediterranean? Mm-hmm. Why is it that every year the same policies and millions are crossing these this, this dangerous seas to Europe, and nobody is asking, why are they crossing? We don't like to come here in America. We want to go back, but look at the reasons. Look at American foreign policy. Yeah. And uh, in, in addition with, 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 with Europe, for example, the genocide in English Cameroon is caused by Frank because of petroleum. And we, we need to look at it. Please, please, yeah. thank you very much. Jay, I, I really love uh, that you called and, and shared uh, that perspective with us. Um, uh, or at least this, this question of... Requiring passports, for instance, uh, is a great example of 
you know, administrative interpretation of the law that is within uh, the executive branch purview. And, and, you know, the Trump administration can do that one way. The Biden administration presumably could come in and, and do it differently. And so I, I think it's really important to, to note that there are small things that can change that, you know, as Jay pointed out, would make a big, would make a big difference to, to people in certain parts of the world. No, absolutely. I mean, there are very specific things that the Biden administration can do on day one to sort of alleviate some of the the pressures uh, that are on the system right now. I mean, I think we've we've spent a lot of focus, perhaps in this country, on sort of the you know unauthorized immigration and and what the Trump administration has done. But you know, equally so on the legal immigration front, there have been a lot of changes uh, under the the Trump administration. The cap for refugees was lowered to just 15,000, which is one of the lowest, if not the lowest, in, in, in recent American history. You know, that's something that Biden has talked about, raising that cap again back to about 125,000 uh, refugees uh, into the into the country. There were a lot of changes, uh, you know, price hikes on or cost hikes on, on legal immigration. You know, it's an expensive process to become... A, a permanent or even, you know, a legal uh, immigrant in this country. And yes. a lot of those fees went up. A lot of the rules changed. Um, and, and that's something that I think uh, President Biden is hoping his, his uh, you know, presumptive appointee for DHS, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, who is uh, used to work at USCIS, is, a, is going to be able to sort of take a look at and reverse very quickly or at least replace those rules um, with things that will help the flow um, and and get things back to the way they were. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Arlis Hernandez, it was really great uh, to have you here with us for this conversation. Thank you very much for joining the show. Um, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay. We are going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at one industry that is booming amid the pandemic, marijuana in Michigan. We'll talk with Dustin Walsh of Crane's Detroit Business. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.